He is risen. He is risen indeed. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 as we celebrate the Lord's resurrection this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at at verse 7. Uh, primarily, and really just kind of a phrase in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, some uh, devotional thoughts here this morning. But I'm going to read here together uh, one sentence with you. Now, it's a long sentence in the Greek. It begins in verse uh, 3 and goes all the way uh, into uh, verse 14. But uh, in the original language, that's one sentence. We're going to read one sentence together, at, and then we're just going to focus on part of that sentence here in our time together. So if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, beginning in verse 3, reading from the uh, version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then we come to verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us as we continue to, to look at his word together. And Heavenly Father, our request to you this morning would be that you would open your words to us. We think this morning of of those in our our church who are struggling with various things. We we think of those who are struggling with sin or feeling defeated this morning. We think of those who are are struggling with discouragement, depression, for those who are struggling with other ailments, illness. And we would ask that your grace would be manifest to them in, in very powerful ways uh, today, they would encounter the, the gospel, the good news for Son Jesus, and find uh, hope there. We pray for those who are uh, coming this morning who would, would say and know that they are uh, distant from you. I, I pray that you would encourage them as well, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would help them see the beauty of your Son Jesus and the good news that is found that he announces and proclaims to all. We pray that we as a church would proclaim the good news cheerfully and and joyfully and clearly this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to believe that change is possible. 
We want to believe that it's, it's, it's possible to change. There's the, the myth of the phoenix, that, that legendary bird that can live for hundreds of years, sometimes even over a thousand years, and then at the end of its long life, it bursts into flames in this spectacular display, and then from the ashes comes a, a new bird, rebirth. It's, it's a new bird, and yet it's the same bird. It's the old and the new, and it's, it's changed. And that, that story, the myth of the phoenix, is a, an image that has been in civilizations for thousands of years. Some think it even came from the ancient Egyptians, and it, it stayed with us, I think, because we as, as human beings want to believe not just that change is possible, but that dramatic change is possible, that rebirth, resurrection, all those things are possible. Fresh start is possible. In fact, if you had Googled that phrase, fresh start, this past week, you would have encountered several news stories. You would have encountered a story about a quarterback who is starting a new NFL team hoping for a fresh start. You would have found a story about two countries that are negotiating and and hoping to have a a fresh start. You would have found a story about people being released from prison, trying to find jobs and a fresh start. You would have encountered the heartbreaking story of a family whose child died and is moving to a new home and hoping for a fresh start. We want to believe that change is possible that the change for us is possible. And you probably know where I'm going with this, at least somewhat this morning, right? On a Resurrection Sunday. You probably think, and you'd be right to think this, that I'm going to tell you that change is possible, and I am, change is possible. And you probably also know that I'm going to tell you that change is possible only, ultimately, in Jesus Christ through the gospel and that's right, change, ultimate change is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ because of the gospel message. But I want to tell you something even more this morning. What I want to encourage you with this morning is that change, as wonderful as it is, is not our ultimate hope. And in fact, even the change that can come about because of the gospel is not the ultimate message of the gospel. I think that sometimes as we talk about the gospel and about Jesus Christ and about the hope that's found in in his resurrection, sometimes we have a tendency to separate the benefits of the gospel from the giver of the gospel. And whatever change you're hoping for this morning, it's not the ultimate. In other words, maybe this morning you've come in here and you've said, boy, uh, I am going through a tough time right now. I am I'm depressed, I am discouraged, and I can't imagine there being anything better for me than, than deliverance from this, hope in the midst of, of deep, deep discouragement and pain, or, or maybe there's some sort of sin that has entangled you and has just overtaken your life. There's a relationship that is just fraught with, with, with tension, and boy, if, if I could just have release from this, this, this relationship and this, the antagonism that exists here, I can't imagine anything better than that. If the gospel offers me that, I can't imagine anything better that the gospel could offer me. Or, again, maybe it's an entangling sin. There's been an issue of of anger or lust or or greed. It seems impossible to, to separate yourself from that sin. And you think, boy, if the gospel could free me from that, I can't imagine anything better about the gospel. And here's here's what I want to tell you this morning. The ultimate benefit of the gospel 
the ultimate benefit of the gospel is not the benefits that the gospel offers you, but the treasure of the gospel himself, Jesus Christ. You say, well, what do you, what do you mean? Imagine it this way. Imagine that I found myself just drowning in debt. I mean, I was, just, you know, credit card bills, car bills, cable bills, mortgage, um, their medical bills, uh, just, just all sorts of debt. I just found myself weighed down by debt and, and absolutely unable to escape it. And, and in desperation, I said, you know what, I, I'm going to call, I'm going to call mom. So I pick up the phone, mom, it's me, it's, it's Daniel. And, and she says, oh, Daniel, my favorite child, blah, 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 you know. She always does. It's good to hear from you. What's going on? I said, Mom, I, I, this is embarrassing, but I, I'm in debt. I am in big debt, and I, I, I just need, I need some help. And she says, well, I, I've got some good news for you, Daniel. I, I haven't mentioned this before, but now that you're in need, uh, we're actually doing pretty well financially. Um, a few, many years ago, several companies, we kind of got in on the ground floor of investing. We kind of were silent partners. Maybe you've heard of Google. Uh, Facebook, Apple, all those companies we actually invested in. We're silent partners, and we are, uh, we're billionaires. And I think, well, that is good news. And uh, then I tell her, well, so the, the car payment, you think we're good there? And she says, well, well yeah. And, and the credit card bill, you think, well, yeah, Dean. Okay, and Mom, just to be clear, the cable, um, the cable's not going to go out. I mean, we're going to have cable, right? And, and she says, well, well, yeah, I don't think you really understand what I'm saying here. You're missing the big treasure. Yeah, all those things are going to be nice benefits, but, but you're missing the, the big treasure here. And sometimes I think it's the same for those of us who are believers. The, the benefits that Christ offers are, are tremendous, are amazing, are beyond our, our ability to comprehend. But he is even better than that. The treasure that is Christ himself is even greater than the benefits that he offers us. In fact, we don't fully appreciate the benefits we receive until we behold Jesus Christ and begin to appreciate him rightly. What I want us to do is I want us to to think about this idea of being redeemed in him here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And for the person who's here this morning who longs for deliverance from a cycle of sin or discouragement or a lack of fulfillment in life, there's good news. Those things can be met in the gospel. But what I want to point you to is that there's even better news. There's better news than just the benefits of the gospel. There's the gospel himself, Jesus Christ. We cannot separate the giver of the gospel from the benefits of the gospel. We want to see this morning the beauty of Jesus. What I want you to see is that it's in him, and it's only in him, that we have redemption. And redemption isn't even the best part of the gospel. That's what I want us to think about this morning. We're going to look at just the the beginning of that first part of chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption. I kind of want to separate it into into two parts. I want us to, first of all, think about what it means to be in him, and then I want us to think about what it means to to have redemption. And let's, let's first start with this idea of being in him being in him. Number one, in him. Now, this is an an idea that I've been trying to to think about a lot. I think I've shared this with those of you who are part part of the uh, biblical counseling conference a few weeks ago. This has just kind of been a a concept that I've been trying to to think about a lot, what it means to be in him. And as I mentioned at the 
counseling conference, this, this phrase, in him, was the, the primary way that it seems early Christians referred to other Christians. In other words, they didn't call each other Christian. They didn't even necessarily, or that wasn't the main thing that they called each other. The, the main thing that we see, for example, in Paul's writings, the main thing that we see him using to describe other Christians is people who are in Christ or in him. He uses that phrase over a hundred times. Who is a Christian in Paul's mind, it's one who is in Christ. And what we see as we look at Scripture is that there is no part of God's work in our life that isn't tied to this idea that we've been united with Christ. And so if we're talking about our election or our calling, our adoption as sons and daughters, our sanctification, our glorification, there is our redemption, there is no aspect of our relationship with God that isn't tied to us being united in Christ. No aspect of our relationship with Him that isn't totally dependent upon you and I being in Christ. Now, there's so much we could say here. Let me just kind of focus on three moments in time, if you will, in our union with Christ. Let's first of all think about this here in chapter 1, verse 7, as we begin with this idea of in him. Let's first of all think about our, our union with Christ in the past, our past union with Christ. You're, hopefully you're there in, in verse 7. And go back, as we look at our union with our past union with Christ, Go back to verse 3 and see what it says there. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, now what is he saying there? Now, I've preached through Ephesians 1 before. And when we came to this, this part of Ephesians chapter 1, I talked about the idea of God choosing us in eternity past. And I don't think I, I fully got it right. Now, no refunds if you were here uh, several years ago. No, no money back guarantees here, but I don't, I don't think what I said was wrong. Here's, here's what I said a couple years ago, and, and look, look there at the, the text. We're talking about our, our past union with, with Christ here. As we're, as we're looking here, a few years ago, as we were looking at this, uh, this idea of our, our past union with Christ, I said this. I said, okay, he chose us in him. This is verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And, and what that means is he's taking us back in time, and here's the foundation of the world, and he's going before the foundation of the world, and he's saying that, that God chose us back then. And he's doing that, this is what I said a couple years ago, I said he's doing that to remove us from the world of, of cause and effect. So we live in a cause and effect world where A causes B, and then B causes C, and then C causes D. And what he's saying is, okay, before that, before this, this time of cause and effect, before the foundation of the world, before you were, had any ability to cause anything to happen, that's when God chose you. And he's, he's doing that so that we can see that this is all about God's graciousness. Now, I said that, and I think that's still true, but, but I think I missed something. I, I don't know exactly what I said several years ago, but I don't, think about it, I don't think I thought about this deep enough because although we are removed from the world of cause and effect here, I think I missed that little phrase in verse 4 where it says, even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, as God decided in eternity past his, his plan of salvation and redemption, 
you and I weren't causing anything to happen, but there was something that was, in a sense, and I don't know how to refer to cause and effect before there's time in the mind of God, but in a sense, there was a cause and effect. He chose us in him. In other words, there was some sort of past union we, we had with Christ, and it wasn't the same as the union we have now through faith, but there was some sort of identification we had in Christ. Paul says this, again, in Second Timothy verse 9 of chapter 1, this is 2 Timothy 1, 9, it says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works. So again, this is, this is mind-blowing to me, guys. Maybe some of you have instinctively understood this. I haven't. He says he saved us not because of our works, and I get that. Salvation is not on the basis of works. But then he says this, but because of his own purpose and grace. Okay, I get this. It's God's grace. But then th- this phrase, which he gave us, in Christ, when? Before the ages began. So there is some sort of a past union we have with Christ. We are in him, even in eternity past. There is some sort of miraculous thing that God does in his grace in which we are, we are united with Christ even in the past. And not only in the past, but there is also this future union we have with Christ. There is a, a future union with Christ. Look here in Ephesians 1 and you go uh, further down in the chapter, you come to the, the end of this, this very long sentence. It talks about a plan for the fullness of, of, of time to unite all things in him. That's in Jesus. And then it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, what does this mean? It means that not only is our election and predestination all that tied to us being united with Christ, it also means that all of our future glory and inheritance is tied to us being united with Christ. You cannot think of your union with Christ as some sort of temporary thing like, God, you need to be united with Christ right now through the work of the Holy Spirit so that someday, you know, the training wheels will come off and you'll be able to do your own thing. No, we are united with Christ in the past, our eternity, future is dependent upon us being united with Christ. There is no moment of time in which our relationship with Christ or relationship with God is not tied to us being united with Christ. And we think about this even as we think about our present union with Christ. Our present union with Christ, we see that here in verse 7. In him, right now, there's this, this union with him. A union that takes place in time as we place our, our faith in Jesus. That's when we receive the benefits of, of salvation. Now, there, there's so much we could say here. So much we could say. But, but here's, here's the essence. We're about to talk about redemption in, in just a moment, but, but we, what we need to understand is this. There is no aspect of our relationship with God, past, future, present, that isn't dependent upon being united with him. And we become united with with. Jesus Christ in time by placing our faith in him. And as we come to Jesus Christ and place our faith and our trust in him, not the benefits, but in him, we receive salvation and redemption. One theologian puts it this way, on the basis of our union with Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to deliver the goods, as it were, we're declared righteous and we immediately receive the the benefits of 
the engrafting, life-giving vine, we begin to receive Christ and his benefits and justification, and we actively immediately begin to bear the fruit of righteousness. As Paul says in Galatians, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, here's what I want you to see. For those of you who, who may not be believers, the offer of the gospel that you hear God making to you through his son Jesus is not an offer just to receive forgiveness. It, that's part of it. That's not, that's not all it is. The offer of the gospel isn't just an offer to, to have purpose in life. It's part of it, but that's not all it is. The offer of the gospel is Jesus. It isn't believe some facts about Jesus. It isn't pray some prayer about Jesus. The offer of the gospel is Jesus himself. And there's no benefit that you can have apart from coming to faith in Jesus and saying, okay, here is Jesus, here is his beauty, here's the one who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, shed his blood for my sin, rose from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's no there's, there's no one to come to but Jesus. There's no works that I can offer. There's no works that anyone else can offer to have a right relationship with God. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. Only through a union with him. Only through God looking at us and seeing his son Jesus in us can we have eternal life. And so what I would ask you first this morning is, are you in him? Are you in Christ? Have you been united with Christ through faith in him? The gospel tells us this. The gospel tells us that the end is Jesus Christ and the means are Jesus Christ. Both the end and the means are Jesus Christ. How do I get to Jesus Christ? With Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of being in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. Both the end and the means are Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ. Are you in him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Here's the other part that I want us to look at in this verse. We have redemption. That's the second thing. In him, we have redemption. Now, there's so much we could talk about redemption, but I want us to think about redemption and being in Jesus and just think about two benefits that we have as we think about being in him and the benefit of redemption, the, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, Paul says here, two things, two things, we think about this, this word redemption, the, the freedom that, that's offered. Here's the first thing. The one who has died, the one who has died with Christ is free from sin. In other words, if I've been united with, with Christ, what redemption, what freedom means here first is that I'm, I'm free from sin. Uh, Paul in Colossians 2 says, okay, I've been united with Jesus. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You come to, to the end of, of well, kind of more towards the end of Colossians 2, and he starts talking about the benefits of dying with Christ. So if I've been united with Christ and I've died with Christ, what does he say? He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, you're not alive in the world, but if you you're acting like you are. Why are you following these, these worldly things, this, this legalistic garbage, he says in Colossians 2? 
Romans chapter 6, verse 3, don't you know, says Paul, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him. And so what Paul tells us and what the New Testament tells us as we think about what it means, first of all, to be united with Christ, is it means we have died to sin. Just as a person who is dead is freed from legal obligations, the person who has died with Christ, who's been united with him and and has died a death like his, we've received the benefits of his death, we now have this ability. And this is why this is so important. Whenever sin comes to us and tries to entice us, we have this this rather remarkable excuse to give sin. Uh, Pardon me, I'm dead. So so sin comes to us and and greed comes to us and says, uh, why don't you indulge here in greed? And we can tell greed, uh, thank you, but no thank you. I don't have to be greedy. I am dead. Uh, Lust comes and and entices us and we say, uh, no, uh, I don't have to give in to this. I'm I'm dead. I'm, I'm dead to this. Anger comes and says, you know, you need to vent. You cannot help but vent your anger. And we say to anger, uh, thank you, but no, thank you. I have died to you. I'm no longer enslaved to you. I don't have to live this way. You say, well, I don't know, Daniel. You're saying that, but it doesn't always feel that way. But what I'm telling you is what Scripture tells you, that in Christ, because I'm in Christ, I can't say this on my own, but in Christ, I can say I've, I've died to sin. Sin is no longer a master over me. Now let's you say, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Well, let's look at the second thing, and maybe it'll make a little more sense. Not only is one who has died with Christ free from sin, but one who is united with Christ, one who has been raised with Christ, is now free to live in him. The person who has been raised with Christ, who's been united with Christ, and and is, is one with Christ in his resurrection, now has not just freedom from sin, but freedom to live in Christ. Say, Daniel, that that's hard to grasp because sin still seems so powerful in my life. There's a song that uh, a friend mentioned a week and a half ago or so. It's, it's the song uh, by the British band Pulp. It's a song, Common People. And it, it's a little bit of a, a rougher song, but uh, I think the, the, there's kind of a scenario in here that, that's played out that's kind of rumbling around in my, my head. And the song is about a rich girl who wants to to live with common people. She wants to live like a, a commoner. And so in the song, she, she says, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. And the narrator of the song, the singer, is a little skeptical. He says, are you sure you want to live like common people? And then he begins to describe the common person's life and how she will never be able to to truly live. And he, he just this, uh, just this, painful, these painful words, sharp words he, he says to her. Are you sure you want to, he kind of describes a common life. He says, what are you going to do? Rent a flat above a shop? Cut your hair and get a job? But still, you'll never get it right. Because when you're laid in bed at night, watching roaches climb the wall, if you called your dad, he could stop it all. In other words, yeah, you can pretend to be a common person, You can do what common people do. You can kind of lay in bed at night like a common person might have to do and watch cockroaches on the wall. But at some point, if you decided, eh, this isn't for me, you could call your dad and he could stop the whole thing. And so the narrator comes to this conclusion. You'll never live like common people. You'll never do what common people do. You'll never fail like common people. Very harsh words about the reality of, look, you're not going to be a common person. 
You're never going to experience the, the hopelessness that a common person has because one phone call, it's all over. You can be rescued. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means for those of us who are in Christ in, in a positive sense. The temptation to live in sin, in sin still exists for us. But here's the, the beauty of our, our union with Christ. We don't have to live that way. For the person who's truly been united with Christ through faith, we've, we've died with Christ to sin. Sin, still, sin, sin doesn't have the, the power over us that it once did. We now have the freedom to, to live in Christ. And so the, the call of Scripture is to do several things. And I want you to think about this as we meditate upon our union with Christ, our redemption, our freedom. First, there are some things that we need to know. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two: As in Adam all die, so also in Christ, in Christ shall all be made alive. Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive together with Christ. 1 John 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. We need to know who we are, and then we need to think in a way that's consistent with who we are. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, Colossians 3, 1, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, Think about things that are consistent with who you are. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died in your life. Listen to this. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, do you see why I say you can't separate the benefits of the gospel from the gospel itself, from Jesus Christ? I can't say why. I kind of want the treasures of the gospel, the nice things about the gospel, freedom from sin and these things, but I'm not really going to think about Jesus that much. The, The things are absolutely, completely inseparable. I cannot have the benefits without the of the gospel without the benefit of the gospel, Jesus himself. It's my union with him that allows me to live in him. And so I, I think about who I am, and then I, I think about life consistently with who I am, and then my actions reflect who I am in Christ. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? And he talks about immorality. He says, look, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Put to death, Paul says in Colossians 3, what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. On account of these things, the wrath of God is, is coming. And then he says later, put on, put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He'd say in Romans 4, how this will be counted to us who believe in righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The beauty of the gospel is is Jesus himself. For those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus, the, the beauty of the gospel is that today you can see Jesus and his beauty and trust in him alone for salvation. Seeing his beauty is far above any benefits that it brings, but, but that it, in his beauty he also brings those benefits, benefits that we're called to hope for. And for those of us who are believers, what a, what a wonderful reminder to think about what it means to live life in him, in him. The Christian life does not begin by my works. It doesn't continue by my works. Life and joy is found in him our resurrected Lord. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the good news of your son Jesus, for the life that's found in his name, and we we pray that we would 
live our lives in consistent in, in ways that are consistent with this this gospel truth. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.